He's a maniac, maniac, that's for sure. And he used to be a vaudeville impersonator. He's a maniac, maniac, that's for sure. He'll take your cat and squeeze out its fucking eyeball like it's a fucking grape and eat it right in front of your face. <laughs> We're talking about maniac. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? What? Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, the podcast where we discuss everything weird, including movies, even ones from pre-code era Hollywood. My name is Billy Martell, and with me as always is... Brad Hefner. And today we're talking about a bizarre little movie that I discovered uh, by accident one day back in high school. Uh, Maniac, 1934's Maniac. It's not the Tom Savini movie you've heard about. This is a old, old-ass exploitation movie. 1934. Yeah, came out in 1934. And it is, just to give you a, a brief rundown on the plot before we get into it, uh, there is none. It, it was, essentially, it was originally intended to be an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. There are a lot of Poe references there in are, this. There are quite a lot of Poe references in it. Overall, the movie does still follow the beats of the story The Black Cat, which guy murders a guy, he doesn't like the guy's cat, the guy's cat ends up jumping behind a wall of bricks that he tries to hole up the dead body in, and then the cat alerts the police that the dead body's back there. But everything surrounding those few events that I just mentioned is exploited and and uh, brought up to the nth degree. It's just full of crazy nonsense. All under, as, as with many old exploitation films, all put under a... A guise of being an educational film. Yes. The whole film seems to be trying to teach you about the dangers of homicidal maniacs. About the dangers of being crazy. About the dangers of being crazy. About having mental illness. The The film definitely treats mel- mental illness with a very um, freak show attitude. Yes. Uh, a very unhealthy freak show attitude. If you're if you're hearing that in the background, that's our, my resident maniac, my cat... <laughs> fighting an orange and white mouse that she's rediscovered today. Uh, but, yeah, so, as two as two people who both admittedly have some sort of mental yes. uh, confusion, this is a very offensive film. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't offended. Yeah. Uh, it's just, there are moments, there's a bunch of uh, text crawls in the movie yeah. with quotes about uh, mental illness and 1934 was not that far after the silent movie era and yes. you can definitely tell that this movie is still sort of operating on that both in the fact that there are lots of text crawls and intertitles as well as the fact that the acting is so over the top yes so over the top and, and if you take away the audio you can kind of see where the actors are going for but yeah, yeah. the crawls could almost be like the message could almost be like, hey, we need a better infrastructure to support mental health. Could be. Instead, is more or less, um, 
you need to be scared because yeah. crazy people are going to kill you. Crazy people are going to kill you. The, the The conclusion at the end of the movie is basically that crazy people are weak. That they can't adjust to changes in their life and therefore they make you suffer for it. And it's, it's yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, don't go, if, if you are easily offended by, you know, horrible opinions, maybe don't watch this movie. But in terms of whether or not I recommend it, just before we get too far into it, I have a blast watching this movie. I do have to be in the right mood. It's definitely a so bad it's good type of watch for yeah. me. It's not a movie that you watch. It is a definitely a weird movie. Oh, yeah. It's a very bizarre film. But it's not a movie that you watch and be like, hmm, what interesting creative decisions. What fantastic, what, what an interesting view on the world. No, this, this movie is just balls to the wall crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's aptly titled Maniac because you feel like a maniac when you're watching it. Yes. I would also recommend it. Yeah. Uh, it's only 50 minutes long. That's probably the best thing about it. Yes. <laughs> and, again, I didn't find it offensive. It's so toothless and stupid. Oh, yeah. That it's like this opinion. And also it's from, what, 90 years ago? Yes. <laughs> um, wow, that's kind of crazy. It is. 90 fucking years ago. Yeah. So, and yeah, it's definitely a very singular movie. Mm-hmm. And pre-code Hollywood is very interesting. I definitely want to see more pre-code Movies, and we'll talk about what the code is. Yeah, in the we, should, we year. absolutely should. Yeah, there's some wild stuff in here. Yeah, and it's definitely some stuff that if if uh, if you've only seen mainstream films from the 1930s, you would be very surprised by some of the content. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, but then again, that makes sense why they eventually came out with the code. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's a short watch. It's very mm-hmm. unique. Yeah, uh, it's fun. It's objectively a terrible movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The acting is terrible. Mm-hmm. The script is fucking nonsense. It's, uh, yeah. Nothing matters in this movie. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of characters jumping to conclusions that they have no... There's no way that they would know that. Like, There's just... Yeah, it's, it's literally as if the movie were made by and written by and starring... Genuinely mentally ill people. Yes. <laughs> like, genuine people with mania who are very yeah. up at the moment. They're very up. Yes. They're like, we're going to make this movie. Yeah. We're going to make this movie right now. <laughs> I have so many ideas, you guys. We're going to go. We're going to go. So, let's talk about what the code is. Sure. Uh, the code is the Hayes Code. Funnily enough, the Hayes Code was established in 1934. Oh, there the you same go. year Maniac was released. So Maniac was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> and it went until about 1968. Yes, yeah, that, that seems about right. But yeah, essentially it was it was a lot like the Comics Code, if you're aware of that. It was a self-censorship program that the film industry set up because families' parents were complaining about the fact that they had to know what a movie was like before bringing their kids to it, or else they might bring them to Maniac. Yeah. And so the film industry was told by the government, start censoring your, your, your start censoring yourselves, or we're going to do it for you. So they set up this Hayes Code that stated what you could and could not do in a movie. 
Uh, kisses could only last a certain amount of time. Uh, bad guy, bad people, people who had done murders or anything like that needed Need to, to be, be punished, punished which, by the end of yes. the movie. So that's why at the end of the movie, the bad seed, unlike the play, uh, the little girl doesn't get away in the end. She gets struck by lightning and killed by God. Which, it's also, if you watch a movie from about 1930, 1934 to the late 60s, you know what's going to happen. Exactly. I mean, it still can lead to effective plots like Double Indemnity. Oh, sure. There there are plenty of great movies that were made under the Hays Code restrictions. Absolutely, but it's still... It takes some of the guesswork out of it. Yes. Uh, Here's some other things that were banned by the Hays Code. I can't wait. Pointed profanity by either title or lips. This includes the words God, Lord, Jesus Christ, unless they be used reverently in connection with proper religious ceremonies... Hell, S-O-B, damn, God, G-A-W-D, and every other profane and vulgar expression, however it may be spelled. Any licentious or suggestive nudity, in fact or in silhouette. White slavery. Oh, so white slavery is bad, but the, uh, the every other kind, that's fine. Miscegenation. Was that what? Sex relationships between white and black races. Oh, God. <laughs> No wonder it fell apart in the 60s, then. Children's sex organs, which I agree with. I agree with that, yeah. Ridicule of the clergy. (laughs) There's a very specific bent to these rules, isn't there? Now, here's a curious one. Okay. Willful offense to any nation, race, or creed. Willful offense to any nation, race, or creed. That is simply bizarre. That I is simply bizarre. To I me. feel like that's one that they ignored a lot. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, Birth of a Nation is also a pre-code movie. To be fair, true. Freaks also a pre-code movie, which I need to see. Oh my god, we need to see that. I actually have it now. Oh, do you? I bought a uh, I bought a lot of horror movies this year, and one of the packs I specifically bought it because it had the haunting in it, but it also had freaks. Sweet, I yep. really want to see that. I can't wait. So. I've heard it is disturbing as hell. I hope so. (laughs) So yeah, let's get started. Let's get started talking about Maniac. So I had some behind-the-scenes materials here. Anyway, so Maniac was released in 1934. As we said, it was a bomb when it was released. Did not do well. But it was re-released under the title Sex Maniac. (laughs) And suddenly it went very well. (laughs) I love the phrase Sex Maniac. (laughs) What about Sex Maniac do you like? Um, Because I don't picture it as, like, a rapist. Okay. I picture it as, like, like a snidely whiplash (laughs) in, like, a trench coat. And he's, like, just having sex with things. Uh, The film is directed by a man named Dwayne Esper who's an infamous exploitation guru of the era. He also directed such classics as Marijuana, spelled with an H, uh, sex Madness. Oh my god! My favorite, How to Undress in Front of Your Husband. <laughs> Which, now hold on. Yeah. How would you undress in front of your husband? <laughs> Same way I undress when my husband's not there, I I would think. See, I would, assuming I have a walk-in closet in this Sh- scenario. Okay, sure. I would remove a piece, uh-huh. go into the closet... Uh-huh. Remove another piece, come back out, 
sort of do like some jazz hands. Sure. Go back in, move another piece, and take about 45 minutes. Take about 45 Well, given how long his movies are, that might be exactly what that movie is. Anyway, uh, Dwayne Esper is also the guy who took a film that had been made, an independent movie that had been made by a church called Don't Tell Your Children, or I'm sorry, Tell Your Children, and recut it into a much more popular exploitation flick that is now known as Reefer Madness. Ah. He was not the director of that movie, but he was the producer who bought it and re-edited it to make it way less educational. Yeah. And way more exploitative. Uh, have you seen Reefer Madness? I've not seen the original. I have seen the musical. Okay. I've not is... seen the musical. I've seen the original. Sure. It's um, it's about what you'd expect. <laughs> uh, faster! Play faster! <laughs> my favorite scene is probably in the beginning where there's like uh, sort of like quote-unquote documentary footage of some youths who have gotten hopped up on the reefer. And <laughs> if I'm recalling correctly, mm-hmm. one child smashes a pop bottle and then drinks from the jagged oh my God. and begins to bleed profusely from the mouth. Oh, that sounds like something that this guy probably added. I, I hope so. <laughs> He's a visionary. He's a Zack Snyder. <coughs> He's a Zack Snyder. Esper's a pretty great last name. It is. I'm not crazy about Dwayne. Not the best first name. But Esper is pretty good. Yeah. It's it sounds it it sounds like a like the name of a Bond girl or something. Esper. Rick Esper. <laughs> Rick Esper. I'm trying to think of a if I saw a billboard or something mm-hmm. for a business owned by Rick Esper. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a business that I would not want someone named Rick Esper for. Mm, mm. And I'm not coming up with anything. <laughs> Attorney, perfect. Rick Esper, uh, yeah. Any sort of repairs? Yeah, no. Uh, carpet cleaning, Rick Esper. Carpet uh, cleaner. Contract killing. Contract killing, Rick Esper. He'll do it very quietly. Yes. Yeah. Because um, his name sounds like Whisper? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's how definitions work. But yeah, that's the yeah, that's exactly yeah. If 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 comic books have taught me anything, if your name sounds like anything else, you will become either a hero or villain related to that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess Rick Esper would be um like the summons from Final Fantasy Six then. Sure. They're called Espers. Okay. I don't yeah. know anything about Final Fantasy Six. Okay. It's before your time. Okay. It's <laughs> before my time, so uh most old movies use uh, a lot of title cards for their openings. That's mm-hmm. This is where Batman the Animated Series got the idea for the title card. Uh, this movie uses a lot of different title cards, and they're all weird close-ups of various people and, 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 and just making weird faces. And uh, so I, I thought that that was actually kind of a, an effective, creepy opening for any other movie than this. Yeah. My favorite title card, by the way, from the 30s is the uh, the title card from Dracula, where it's just a random bald head in a void with eyeballs floating around it, because it means nothing, but it feels right for Frankenstein, but gotcha. it means absolutely nothing. I thought you said Dracula. Uh, if I did say Dracula, I meant to say Frankenstein. Okay. Sorry. Uh, they did come out both the same year, around the same time. Also, Do you think Dracula and... Either Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster yeah, would make a good couple. Dracula and Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. 
I would like to see that. Yeah, I, I think they would get along well. I think that Dracula and Frankenstein the scientist would make a better couple than Dracula and Frankenstein the monster, personally. I, I can see the other thing happening, but I feel like uh, the creature is too emotionally immature yeah. for a solid relationship. And Dracula's been around for a long time, so he knows what he wants as a yeah. man. Also, the creature, not a good communicator. He's not. No. Uh, no. I at mean, least Dracula knows that fire is bad. He does know that fire is bad, yeah. Which makes cooking hard. He can't light candles to set the mood. Right. That Yeah, so, I mean, if you just communicate in negatives, they never know how to make you happy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so are we specifically talking about Frankenstein from the movies and not from the book? I have not read the book. Okay, I'm just going with the general cultural general cultural uh, attitude. Because in the book, Frankenstein he, in the book, the monster talks for pages. Oh, does he? Yeah, he goes on for pages He's just a and pages. Chatty little of bitch. Mo- yeah, he 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 monopolizes a great portion of the book by talking about how much he related to Satan in Paradise Lost. Oh, it reads. It reads. Yeah, it read Paradise Lost and liked it. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if that's the only book it read. <laughs> Apparently not. It, it, there's it, He has a whole list of books that he's read and he <laughs> oh, enjoyed. Oh, he gives he, recommendations. He does. He, he has a reading list. It's, <laughs> it's only, it's it's about as influential as Oprah's re- reading list. Okay. If Frankenstein's reading list. I would, I would love to see that list. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we lived in the reality where the Frankenstein monster was our Oprah? You get a get brain. Car. You get car. I was going to say, you get a brain, and you get a brain, and you get a brain. Your brain is slightly damaged. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he has F Magazine. It's and it's F-, just, <laughs> F Magazine. And he's on every oh, cover. Man. And it's just like him, like an autumnal. Like a, <laughs> he's in a pile of leaves. Uh, does it's... he look like Aaron Eckhart in this universe? Uh, he looks like Herman Munster. Oh, <laughs> even better. Yeah, even better. Uh, oh my God, <laughs> the the Herman Munster version of Frankenstein monster. I could see having an Oprah network. I mean, he would still have the limited vocabulary from the old oh, 30s movies. Oh, so so yeah, so he'd be so just... he's he's not Fred Gwynn then. No, no, he's not oh. Herman Munster. He's because Fred Gwynn uh, has the personality, has like the the charisma to pull it off. Oh yeah, I think. if Herman Munster were a late night host, he'd be <laughs> he'd be fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Why hasn't someone done this? <laughs> we've well, we've had we've had fucking sp- space ghost coast to coast. We can't have Herman Munster and late night. Come on. <laughs> well, there are a couple problems. <laughs> Fred Gwynn is dead. Ah, uh, details. And two, most of the audience for that show is dead. <laughs> I to that I just say this: the Fallout Boy Uma Thurman that sampled the Monsters theme song was a huge hit. So I, a, I think it's ready for a, a comeback. This is a song called Uma Thurman? A song called Uma okay, Thurman. Okay, I was confused. Like, there's a version of Uma Thurman that's in Fallout Boy? No, Fallout Boy made a song called Uma Thurman. They wanted to reference the fact that Uma Thurman's dance from Pulp Fiction with the steel guitar from Kill Bill. But they decided that a better sample would be the Munsters theme song. So in, in, so they have this weird song about Uma Thurman dancing to the Munsters theme song. It's very bizarre. But it's a great song. I wish Rob Zombie would... Uh, 
<laughs> you want a Rob Zombie reboot of the monsters? I just want the man to acknowledge <laughs> how influenced he was by the monsters. <laughs> you know because what? I, I, I would not be at all surprised if I, he was. I think it's a lot more than he lets on. <laughs> of course, his immortal song, Dragula, yes. makes me think of the monster's car, it, it, it is which a, was like a hearse dragster. It is a very surface-level sort of... Dragula and a lot of his monster movie reference songs do referencing on, on a very surface level that a Monsters fan would. On a very sort of pop culture idea. And granted, the Monsters drew from horror pop culture. Right, yeah. But I think the man needs to come out and be like... Yeah. Devil's Rejects is... <laughs> is is my, is my Monsters reboot. <laughs> That's why he establishes the characters are monsters early on, and then in the latter half of the movie, tries to make you like them. He's doing the whole pop culture arc of the monsters, starting from evil creatures to likable buffoons. And actually, I misspoke, because obviously it started with House of a Thousand Corpses, of course, where it's like, yeah. that's the monster's house. Right. They even have a secret monster hidden in below the house, like... Uh, what was their pet spot? Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah, like an invisible dragon or some shit. It was like under the stairs, and you only ever saw it shoot flames out. But that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The only okay, I'll tell you what. I, the only monsters thing I have ever seen is the Brian Fuller a, a failed reboot attempt, uh, Ten Mockingbird Lane, I think it was called, which I did not know was a monsters thing. I just watched it based on it looking kind of interesting. And I really, really liked it, and then it didn't get a show. I didn't know that was a Brian Fuller thing. Yes. Yeah, he, when that one failed, he immediately went and was like, I guess I'm doing Hannibal now. <laughs> 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 Which is also why Eddie Izzard is in Hannibal, because he was going to be the grandpa. Was in, he? He was the grandpa in Ted Mockingbird Lane. He played it as a much more seriously evil, twisted vampire character okay. who the family had to keep trying to stop from killing their neighbors. That progression actually makes a lot of sense. Going from Pushing Daisies to Monsters, mm -hmm. That I can definitely see that more than Pushing Daisies to Hannibal right. makes sense to me. <laughs> but the movie Maniac, thank you for listening to our sub-pod. Also, Monsters Talk. Brian Fuller also made a pilot for a Carrie series. Okay. Which did not get picked up. But anyway... Also, in the credits, there's a credit for someone named Phyllis Diller. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> who, and is, I, who is not the Phyllis Diller you're thinking about, unfortunately. And I was immediately like, hey, Phyllis Diller's in this. <laughs> Several years before she became relevant. Yes. Several decades before she became relevant. But, no, I got I got really excited that we were going to get some Phyllis Diller in this movie. I did, too. So I was like, oh, and, man, I can't believe Phyllis Diller's and in this. No, she's, it's, not, it's not the Phyllis Diller that you're all hoping it will be. Yeah, everyone's just clamoring for yeah. Phyllis Diller content. All them Phyllis Diddler... Diddler? <laughs> oh, man. All them Phyllis Diddler fans out there. There was a man who used to drive around my neighborhood in a van called Phyllis Diddler. <laughs> Sort of did a did a drag show tribute out the back, <laughs> out the back of a van. Yeah, <laughs> popped open the door. He didn't get out, so he was sort of just right. crouched down in the back, <laughs> sort of walking on his knees, doing this wonderful Phyllis Diller review. Yeah, which to the collected eight year olds <laughs> didn't really go. Over. 
and to the parents, the whole concept did not go over. (laughs) Did he have like an ice ice an ice cream man uh, music box in the back? No, uh, there were a lot of restraints though. Oh, okay. (laughs) Also in the credits, the character of Marvel is played by Marvel Andre. What an incredible coincidence! Oh. Who in the movie's name is Marvel? I think it's one of the women who oh. seem to live with oh, uh, yeah. Maxwell's ex-wife or wife. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, I will say one of those women. I looked it up. I, I guess one of them is the Spanish voice for Minnie Mouse, the one with a really high-pitched voice. The one I was extremely attracted to. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, I mean she was very attractive, but I guess she's also the Spanish voice for Minnie Mouse. Well, good for her. Good for her. She's getting work. Uh, so. The movie starts off with the very first quote that we get. We get all, like we said before, we get these titles throughout the film, these title cards explaining what you're supposed to get out of this. Yeah, basically talking about mental illness and how it is a danger. Right. So this first quote is attributed to a a man named W.M. Sadler, M.D., of the Chicago Institute for Research and Diagnosis. It's talking about how the mind is somehow a separate thing from the brain, which uh, I don't know that that can be scientifically proven. That's, that's a very philosophical that's, question. That's more of a philosophical idea. And that the brain is simply a muscle. And I, so I'm a Christian. I believe that. I believe in, the, in, in a, an internal soul that's separate from the biology of a human body. However, I don't think that you can like, definitively, scientifically state that. That's no. more of a faith thing. Well, um, one, this whole first crawl is yeah. basically fear is the mind killer. Right, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's basically like, fear is dangerous. Uh, you shouldn't fear. Which, um, there's an evolutionary reason behind fear. It serves a purpose. <laughs> it's okay to be afraid of things. It's- perfectly fine. In it's, fact, you cannot be brave without being afraid first. Especially when every other text scroll in the movie is basically going, you should be afraid of yeah, crazy people. Be afraid. Be be very afraid. But William Sadler, the man behind this quote, maybe not the most scientific fellow. Probably not. He was a self-taught psychiatrist and a spiritualist uh, and wrote books based on stuff told to him by a man he believed was possessed by cosmic forces. Yep. <laughs> he also... So... Definitely the protagonist of a Lovecraft story. Yeah. Psychiatry is definitely one of the things it's okay to be self-trained in. Although... No! <laughs> granted, given psychiatry at the time, mm-hmm. probably didn't make a whole fuck lot of difference. Fair. Fair. So I feel like everyone was just kind of making it up at the time. 1930 psychiatry does not have the best reputation. No. I, was, I, I wrote down three things. The first thing was, yeah, this guy's clearly a Lovecraft protagonist. Second, having a quote from this guy at the beginning of your movie is like having Criswell at the beginning of your movie. <laughs> and three... What a, what a timely reference. I know, right? And three, I want to watch a movie about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, this guy seems to have had a fascinating life. Absolutely not someone you want to believe anything he says. But I want to watch a movie about him. Well, you can sort of watch a movie that is adjacent to his story because Sadler married one of the daughters of, I forget his first name, but Dr. Kellogg, the man who invented Kellogg's Cornflakes. Was it 
No, no, Dr. Kellogg did not invent Kellogg's cornflakes. His brother did. Oh, okay. And he took credit for it, which is why his brother went off and started the Kellogg cereal company to tell his brother to go fuck himself. I was not aware. Dr. Kellogg was uh, an asshole and a cult leader. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he ran a sanatorium. Yes. And there is a Matthew Broderick movie that is <laughs> renowned murderer Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Matthew Broderick killed two women in Ireland in, case you in didn't the know. 1980s uh, during a driving accident, yeah. which was most likely caused by some sort of substance. But yeah, uh, and he ended up paying uh, under two hundred dollars in fines, and that's about it. And has consistently avoided uh, taking responsibility or apologizing yes. for it. But he has a movie called Road to Wellville, mm -hmm. which is sort of about based on Dr. Kellogg. Yeah, but Kellogg's cornflakes were invented to curb masturbatory practices right yeah yeah so they were they were invented to curb masturbatory practices and he also he needed something for his followers to eat that did not involve sugar because sugar was also of the devil well sugar is extremely bad it is very bad for you and his brother the first thing he did when he s set up the kellogg's cereal company was find out how to put sugar sugar in this <laughs> shit <laughs> i'm picturing uh, one i'm picturing both of these men look like colonel sanders at least one of them did. Kellogg did. Oh yeah. I'm well. I'm I'm talking about the Kellogg brothers. Right. I'm assuming they both looked exactly the same. <laughs> and that is like Colonel Sanders. Right. And one of them's in his kitchen mixing up a batch of his uh, anti jerk off cereal. <laughs> and the other brother sort of like leans his head and is like, "Hmm, no jacking off, huh?" <laughs> And then the other brother, like, goes to take a piss, and he sort of, like, sneaks in like the cookie crisp thief <laughs> and steals it. Like, Here, this will keep your hands off your dick. <laughs> I think that's probably exactly what happened. Uh, my favorite quote from this first crawl mm -hmm. is, Fear is a psychic disease, which is highly contagious and extraordinarily infectious. Yeah, did I mention not don't listen to anything this guy fucking says? That was particularly striking. That was great. And a the psychic disease. I love the way that sounds. It sounds much gnarlier it, than It sounds uh, like something Alan Moore would write a book about. Yeah, it's or Grant Morrison. <laughs> or Grant like, Morrison, yeah. Uh, I went into another dimension and now I have this thought disease. But um, yeah, so someone write a book about a psychic disease and get back to us with that. And maybe we'll feature it on the podcast, but don't listen to Dr. I put that in as many air quotes as possible, uh, Sadler. Don't listen to him. And the second text crawl we get associates mental illness with crime. He says, most crim many criminals are known to have mental diseases. No mention of what mental diseases those are. But also, at all. this is almost a good thought. Because mental illness, through various ways and the way mental illness affects a person sure. can lead to crime because crime is usually out of necessity sure so mental illness can get you in that state yeah and he like i said it's it's so close to going like hmm we need to take care of mental health this is very important he's very close to that but it's actually just shit crazy people are dangerous and scary <laughs> but i i do but i love that they don't <laughs> So I wrote down, because again, they just say mental diseases yeah. in general. So I wrote down, watch out, that's pickpocket has ADD. It's so, it's, it's so uh, bad faith. It's, it's such a bad, regressive, yeah. uh, 
way of going about things. But anyway, the movie starts. The movie the, starts. The actual movie begins. Uh, there's a mad scientist. We know he's mad because he laughs after almost everything he says. And he also has a bushy beard and crazy hair. And he's wearing a lab coat. And wearing a lab coat. And he's got like these, these weird beady-eyed glasses on the entire time. And he has an assistant who is also probably mad because even though his hair is not white, it is also frizzed up. Yes. He's also wearing a lab coat. He looks like Todd from Community. It's, yes, he does look like Todd. Holy shit, I forgot Todd completely. Now this first, probably because he's only in like two episodes. Probably. Uh, now this first scene, I had to rewatch twice because I could not fucking understand it the first time. No, I had to, same. Yeah, no, it, you're not alone. It, the cinematography and blocking in this scene are is so bad. And I have a feeling that if people watch this without having watched a lot of old Hollywood, they would think that was just old movies, but it's not. It's, it's, uh, old movies were not this bad. This is, like, shockingly amateurish even for the time. This feels and looks like and sounds like, uh, either bad community theater. Yes. Or... A vaudeville duo, but there are no jokes. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. Because throughout the movie, no matter what scene you're in, characters will look directly into camera yeah. all the goddamn time. And everyone is sort of across from each other, very close, sort of cheated out a little. Yeah. And that's the blocking. And that's the blocking. Entirely. Now, a lot of old Hollywood camera setups would be... With wide shots to include everybody in one shot and get a lot of conversations that way. Because back in the day, cameras were huge. Uh, in the early days of talkies, most of the actors that they got were from stage productions anyway. Because they were like, well, none of our actors know how to fucking talk. Let's, yeah. get, let's get these people. As we saw in the Oscar winner, The Artist. <laughs> exactly. In these characters, the doctor is Dr. Meyer Schultz. Yes. And the assistant is Maxwell. Max, Don Maxwell. Don as, Maxwell. As they later get his his uh, mm. first name, but um, mm. yeah. But this this uh, in the opening, it's even worse because, like, again, the the wide shot with everybody talking to each other is fairly normal, but in the opening, the actors are actively facing away from the camera. <laughs> They're just facing the back wall the entire time. And I, I made the note. Both of these characters and actors are amazing and also the fucking worst. <laughs> I have a plan! I'm ready to try my experiment on a human! Dead people? <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, uh, very briefly, about the actor who plays Meyer Schultz. Okay. His name is Horace B. Carpenter. Mm -hmm. And according to IMDb, he has had 402 acting credits. Oh my god. Now... Okay. I'm willing to say 97% of them are uncredited. Okay. That's so bizarre to me. Like, to just yeah. have almost your entire career to be uncredited appearances in movies. Holy shit. That is, that is super bizarre. Yeah, nobody, nobody in this, who's in this movie has a great career. Uh, aside from Minnie Mouse in, in, in Mexico. It seems like a lot of... When the other actors do have other credits, mm -hmm. it seems to be in other movies that are similar, like Narcotic or sure. Marijuana. Yeah, N Narcotic is another one of this this guy's movies, and we already talked about Marijuana. 
Uh, there's some actors who people have just not been able to identify. For instance, there's a body double from a scene later in the movie that nobody knows who she was. Uh, She's probably happier that way. She, I think that's probably by design, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, this scientist... Man, I, I'm going to explain this plot to you, and you're going to... You're probably going to be able to follow it the way that I say it. But I need you to understand that watching this movie... It, it's much harder to understand than I'm going to make it sound. Oh, it's confusing as fuck. It's it's so confusing. There are things that I did not understand until the third time I watched it. <laughs> because we had several false starts with this movie. Right. We so were going to cover this, it a couple different times. We, I had watched this before. Yeah. And the first time I had to go back a couple times. And this yeah. time I had to go back a couple times. Yeah. So there was a scene that I saw at least three times that I did not understand what was going on until... The third time. Right, and I've been watching this movie since high school, and I still only think I finally understood what happened in this movie this time. But Meyer Schultz seems to... His dream is to bring the dead back to life. He's Dr. Herbert West from yes. Reanimator. He wants to... He has, he has some sort of chemical in a syringe that he can use to bring dead folks back to life. And he needs to do these experiments in secret... Because, yeah, no reason. <laughs> There's no no reason to... He's crazy. That's his reason. And now what you're thinking, most likely, yeah. is, okay, he has a serum that can bring the dead back to life. Mm -hmm. This movie is 50 minutes long. Most of this movie is probably about the serum. Probably. Wrong. No. <laughs> Incredibly <laughs> unimportant, as are most things in this movie. Maybe... 20 minutes of the film involves the serum at yeah. most and then the rest of the 30 minutes of the film is something else anything else than that and Meyer Schultz needs a dead body he needs a dead body we've all been there sure we've all checked the pantry yeah all out of corpses shit should have stocked up for the winner should have the ant and the grasshopper woulda shoulda coulda the ant has mucho dead bodies <laughs> And the grasshopper's out there eating fucking snow. Right. Yeah. That's that's all you got. That's all you get. But yes, so he needs to uh, do his experiment on a human. Uh, Why don't you give me that a little less loud? Oh, sorry. Experiment. Okay. On a human. And someone recently killed themselves with gas and their body is in the morgue. Yes. So he asked his assistant, Don Maxwell, to get the body for him. Every acting choice in this movie is the biggest acting choice. Yes. <laughs> Dead people. Don Maxwell is very upset about the idea of having to go and, and interact with dead bodies. Doesn't seem to have a problem with it later. No, no, not at all. Like, not when he creates the dead bodies. <laughs> it's like it's like if your if your place is messy and filthy, it's like yeah. this is my filth, so mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with it. Right. But if I go to somewhere else that's filthy, yeah. I'm disgusted. Disgusted. I don't know this film. Right. It's the same thing with corpses. It's the same thing. Have you ever been around a dead body? Uh, once in my life. Okay. I, I, I went to a funeral with an open casket, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body. And it was... This was actually, like, within the last couple of years. And it was um, very disturbing for me. Really? Yeah. I have never been... So we now learn that the Don Maxwell 
is a failed impr- impressionist and actor. He was a vaudeville. He was a vaudevillian mm-hmm. uh, who specialized in, in impersonation. Yes, and which uh, used to be a big thing back in the day. Frank yeah. Gorshin, the guy who famously played the Riddler in the 1960s Batman series, his main thing was that he was a stage impressionist. He would go up and do impressions of famous people, and that could fill an hour. Well, on that stage. was it. Was that way up until like the fucking 80s? Because Rich Little was a huge thing. That's right, and, and you, even um, uh, that uh, that guy from Full House, uh, Uncle Joey, uh, Dave Coulier. Dave Coulier. Dave Coulier was an impressionist too. Well, even in the 2000s, Frank Caliendo. Actually, it kind of is still now because Melissa Villasignor from SNL, her, most of her stand-up is doing impressions, too. Really? But she she has a little bit more to her act because she can sing like Christina Aguilera or Sia or people like that. So that's, gotcha. there's a little bit more to it uh, than just uh, pretending to be fucking Alec Guinness or whatever. And it's never really clear how Maxwell and the Doctor hooked it's, up. It's never clear. We know that... He's been with the Doctor for a while, yeah. because someone later in the movie, which I don't want to say who yet, because it's such a weird reveal, yeah. but someone later in the movie says, I wonder if he's still with that kooky science <laughs> professor. But uh, So we know he's been there for a while, and we know that he's in hiding, because it is mentioned several times that Don Maxwell is on the run from the cops. Is it ever said why? Never. Okay. Not once. I am going to assume... It's because he was such a good vaudevillian that he fooled God with his impressions. Oh my God. And for that grievous sin, yes. to deceive God, right. he is now wanted by every law agency on earth. God gave him a blessing he meant to give to another person. God gave him too much of a blessing. Too much of a blessing. Just he like, gave him the power to fool God. And just, that was... just like uh, the story of, of Abraham and his two sons. Yeah. So he's, he needed to give a blessing to one son and... The other son came in dressed up and he was too blind. He couldn't figure it out. Yeah, so we never find out what the hell is up with, with Don Maxwell. We find out later, actually, that not only... So the professor makes fun of him, calls him a ham, which What's he should... a ham? Always a ham! He should fucking talk. But uh, we learn at the very end of the movie, Don Maxwell says he was driven to it by bad reviews of his performances. Oh, he's like John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> Is that why John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln? Because of I know bad he, reviews? I know he was not a well-regarded actor, from what I remember. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I had no idea. He was an actor. I know he was an actor, yeah. I, <laughs> According to Whitest Kids You Know, he killed uh, President Lincoln because he wouldn't stop talking during Hamlet Vampire Hunter. Oh. Yeah, but anyway... Um, yeah, but Don Maxwell doesn't want to go to the morgue because, as you said... Uh, dead, dead people people the That's, morgue dead people yeah Meyer Schultz needs his corpse he's gonna send Maxwell he is his assistant and he's and an impressionist he says you can pretend to be pretend to be the coroner the coroner yeah you can you can get in there by pretending to be the coroner but he doesn't want to be around dead people and then he starts freaking out and yeah. railing against the doctor and everything he does and his cat and his cat. He hates the doctor's fucking cat, whose name is Satan, by the way. Is it? I we did le- not catch We learn that. that halfway through the movie. That it's, it's really funny because later on in the film, a guy comes up and is like, uh, have you been stealing my cats to experiment on? And uh, Don, well, someone who claims to be the doctor at that point, yeah. says, 
uh, no, I respect Satan too much. And I didn't realize that was the name of the cat, so I was just thought he was like, no, I'm a Satan worshiper. We don't do that to cats. But no, the cat's name is fucking Satan. Well, good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he hates the cat. He hates, he hates his work for reversing death. He hates the fact that he makes him do these things. And the doctor's like, dude, you don't have anywhere to live. Yeah. And I gave you free room and board so that you could help me round here. And it doesn't seem like Maxwell contributes a lot. He doesn't. It seems <laughs> We like learn later he doesn't know thing one about science. Aside from stealing corpses, <laughs> Maxwell does not seem to do a lot for the doctor. <laughs> Maxwell is just this deadbeat asshole yeah. who freaks out every time Dr. Meyer Schultz asks, Could you clean up after yourself, man, please? You've been staying here for a couple of months. Toilets! <laughs> you want me to clean toilets? <laughs> exactly. Every, every single time. But So eventually it's decided that, yes, we're going to go a corpse stealing. Yeah. Now, I noticed this. When Meyer Schultz exits, he sort of touches the collar of his lab coat. Then when Maxwell exits, he does the same thing. I did not notice that. So my question, is this a bizarrely uncharacteristic of the movie, good direction or acting, where it's like, Maxwell is an impressionist, he's copying mm -hmm. the doctor's mannerisms. Sure. Because that's a good detail. That's a good detail, But yeah. I don't know if it's just dumb. I think it might be just dumb. Okay. I think it might be an accident. Because I refuse to believe that anyone in this movie had a brain cell. <laughs> and next we get to probably my favorite scene because it contains my favorite characters. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, I'm guessing the, 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 uh, the Undertaker's there. Oh yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, so so there are a lot of cats throughout this movie. Not only the black cat at the doctor's, but when they when we cut to the un, the Undertaker's place, not the Undertaker. That's later. Uh, the the morgue. When we cut yeah. to the morgue, suddenly there's these fucking cats wandering around in the scene. Um, so Maxwell impersonates the coroner, which I did not understand. This is a scene I didn't understand until the third time I watched it. Right. I I was very confused. Like. Yeah, Maxwell impersonates the coroner, and the coroner is sort of aristocratic. Sure. Uh, he yeah. has on a nice hat, uh, yes. glasses. I was extremely confused who this grave-robbing aristocrat was <laughs> with the doctor. That's how good Maxwell is. This is the only time he's good. <laughs> I was so fucking confused. And here are my notes. Okay. Who is this grave-robbing aristocrat helping the professor? <laughs> what if that was Maxwell? Wait, is it? It seems to be. <laughs> because most movies would, like, you would see the transformation. Right, yeah. You would see him, like, putting a putty nose on or some shit. Or... Because even when he talks to Meyer Schultz, yeah. he's using a voice, which right. does not sound at all like Maxwell. No, he stays so, in, he's, he's, he's a method actor. He stays yeah. in character. This is what Daniel Day-Lewis was inspired by. <laughs> I, don't, I don't drop character until the DVD commentary. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so the impersonates the coroner. He gets the scientist into the morgue. And, of course... The body that they want is of a beautiful young woman. A beautiful young lady. A beautiful young lady. 
And yes, then we cut to two comedy undertakers, one of which is overacting and the other of which looks like they just pushed him in front of the camera at gunpoint. One of them looks like Ed Gein. Okay. That's, uh, th- that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think of that. And the other looks and sounds like if you were to make a golem out of mashed potato. That's so true. And these two characters are fucking amazing. <laughs> They're so bad. They're so bad. They're so natural. This is like, they clearly grab... They're so grabbed. natural? They're so it's... natural because these are clearly two people they grab and they were like, you're going to work in a mortuary. Yeah. And it's like, they're not acting because they can't act, I assume. No, they're not acting. So One is... of them, the mashed potato guy is trying really hard. He is. But Ed Gein is not trying at all. Well, thankfully, <laughs> Ed Gein doesn't have to do the heavy lifting because he doesn't appear later. He does have the most memorable line of any of them, though. Which is? Where he, he looks directly into camera and he says... Between the mob and the automotive industry, we don't need another war to curb the population. And I'm like, holy shit, this was the 1930s. World War II was right around the corner. That yeah. was so tasteless at the time. Holy shit. Yeah. Also, what a horrible joke. Also because of the horrors of World War One, which both right. these men probably experienced to some degree. Most of the people in the audience for this movie experienced yeah. that. Holy shit! Most kids watching this movie, if they d- if kids did watch this movie, which they definitely did, probably had to hear about. Now, don't mention the fact that Grandpa doesn't have a face anymore, because it got burned off by the gas in World yeah. War One. We can't put mustard on our frankfurters because it triggers Grandpa. <laughs> Everything about that sentence actually is out the door. <laughs> So, but the best thing about these two yeah. is about halfway through their conversation, it becomes incomprehensible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where it is just... They just start laughing. It is just noise in the vague semblance of words. It is impossible to decipher. Yeah. The camera work is so bad, it's very unclear whether or not they are in the same room as Dr. Meyer Schultz and Don Maxwell, or if they are in a completely separate room. But one of them makes reference to Santa Claus, which we know yeah. from a later scene is him... Talking about Meyer Schultz. Talking about Meyer Schultz and his big, white, bushy beard. So here's what I assume. Okay. I assume these two men were literally, like, across the room from I Meyer Schultz and Maxwell. that's what was intended. Just fucking watching them, like manipulate this young woman's <laughs> arms and, like, talk about stealing her. Because they're they're openly and dramatically speaking to the back row yeah. of the theater about how they're going to steal this body. Not only that, they inject the body right there yes. with their reanimation fluid, and then Dr. Meyerschultz gets on top of this woman and starts massaging her in this really creepy way. Not massaging where you think, but, yeah. like, just massaging her shoulder blades and shit. And, and yeah, like, cranking her arm like she's yeah. going to give up water. And uh, then they're like, let's take her out the side door. And it, the first time I watched this, I did think they were in another room. Yeah. And this was going to be a tense scene of them trying to sneak the body out. But I really think those two people were just watching them the whole time. Yeah. I, it seems to be. It's <laughs> and if this were a modern comedy, there would be a pull out where you see that they're literally like five feet away from each other. Right, exactly. And I, I 
Yeah, because, you know, why would we need tension in a horror movie? Yeah. I, I don't... But, yeah, so then we cut... Well, up... for there to be tension in a horror movie, there needs to be <laughs> an overarching plot or stakes and something. Yeah. <laughs> and this, it's like... About every 20 minutes, the plot is dropped. Yeah, basically, yeah. No, first is, like, we need a dead body, and now the formula just works, and they get the body over to their lab. All right, so we start back up with the Bureau of Missing Persons. Yes. Which is where you go to report a missing dead body, I guess. (laughs) Are the dead people? Uh, I... I don't know. I don't know what the current legal definition of that is. I don't think so. Let me ask it to you this way. Okay. Would you sell an airplane ticket to a corpse? No. Then I guess they're not a person. I guess they're not a person then, because, jeez. But anyway, so, so, but, uh, sack of potatoes, man. Yes. Mashed, mashed, mashed potatoes, man. He's the, he's the prime witness. He's the prime. He, he, I, he's gone to the Bureau of Missing Persons to report the missing dead lady. And he initially says that it was the coroner who took her. But the coroner is there, also reporting the dead yes. body. And he had nothing to do with it. Now, the film gets away with the fact that we've only seen Don Maxwell playing the coroner by having the coroner only seen from the back. We yes. never see the coroner's face. But he's so so they they say, do you know who did steal the bodies? Like some Santa Claus looking guy, some Santa Claus looking man, to some Santa Claus looking man. It was going to Blaine's day. <laughs> but yeah, and then they say, can you can you swear that uh, if you saw these men again, could you swear? It was like, well, that was not the coroner who took the bodies. I couldn't swear to anything. Uh, there's a lot of pauses in this scene where I think actors like dropped lines or so. The scientist, Dr. Meyer Schultz, immediately gets brought up in conversation. They're like, long white beard, looks like Santa Claus. That sounds like your friend, Dr. Meyer Schultz, <laughs> sounds, coroner. Sounds like your best friend, Dr. Meyer Schultz. <laughs> so this raises a question for me. Dr. Meyer Schultz is friends with the coroner. Wasn't there some other way he could have gotten a dead body then? Couldn't the coroner, like, you could have slipped the coroner a couple of bucks or been like, do you have someone who's donated their body to science? I'm science. Send it my way. I don't know how dead bo- getting dead bodies works, but I know it must be simpler than stealing one, even in the 30s. Here's the fundamental flaw with Maniac. Okay. <laughs> we don't know enough about the coroner's character sure, to make assumptions... <laughs> About the scenario. He's too much of an enigma. He's <laughs> The coroner's character is too much of an enigma. The fandom has run wild <laughs> with the coroner. There's so many fanfics out there about the possible characteristics of the coroner. Yeah. He's the Boba Fett of Maniac. There's not a lot to him, but like there's just enough to get, exactly. you, get you salivating for more. Uh, he clearly comes from money. Clearly. Maybe he's a Dracula. <laughs> Don't you mean a vampire? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I knew, I don't need to know which kind of Dracula nerd. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. So Captain Jones, the guy in charge of missing persons, he says that he thinks that Meyer Schultz is probably responsible because scientists have a lot of queer ideas in their head. What a wonderful fascist dystopia! So this but, is, 
This is just continuing the theme from all the Universal Frankenstein movies. In every Universal Frankenstein movie, it's just generally understood that scientists are inherently evil. And if given the choice between anything else and fucking around with dead bodies, they will always fuck around with a dead body. True. Yeah. And granted, Meyer Schultz is a huge creep. He is. He definitely is a huge creep. And I think, given the name, we're also supposed to assume Jewish. <laughs> which I'm thir- sure... Oh my ni- god, you're right. 1934 is... was like heavy code. That's, yeah, and this is just before World War II when America still had a very strong Nazi party. Yeah. Unlike today. Uh, and so it... Yeah, that that's definitely a thing. I did not notice that. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, that's too bad. But anyway, uh, so the cops quickly deduce not only that Meyer Schultz is probably responsible, but out of fucking nowhere, they pull this right out of their ass. Hmm. I wonder if Don Maxwell, the famous and corrupt impressionist, would be working with him. So already, the movie's over. The movie is over. <laughs> like, they know it's Meyer Schultz. They already have a pretty solid idea that Don Maxwell is his assistant. And that's how they broke in. This should be the end of the movie. And for the rest of the movie, even though they are never informed that this is what the cops have come up with, Don Maxwell keeps saying, the police are going to be here any minute. That is said like five times throughout the movie. <laughs> they don't... And, and yet so much is yet to happen in this film before the cops arrive. Here's what you're underestimating. (laughs) And here's how I can tell you didn't get the movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Don Maxwell Mm -hmm. is the world's most efficient man. (laughs) Efficient. Okay. I assume everything that happens in this movie... Happens in an afternoon. It's it's pretty much that. That's yeah. pretty much the implication. That it all happens in like a day. He gets a lot done. <laughs> he certainly he gets, does. And so does everybody, except the police. <laughs> the police just kind of take their fucking time. The police are like that uh, Kids in the Hall sketch about the country doctor who's just sort of moseying along as uh, as a farmer lay dying. Right, the, the, yeah. <laughs> the cops talk to people who, uh, again, clearly insane people. Yeah, the well, ne- at least one clearly insane person. The next time we see the cops, they're interviewing the neighbors. Yes. And saying, you know his assistant Don Maxwell, right? Like, they've already established that. It went from a hunch to a solid, yeah. provable fact. And, it, yeah, and one woman just keeps... This is late, way later in the movie. Yeah. But one woman just keeps talking about, yeah, they're really queer up there. So queer. Queer is queer is queer. And I know that that's not what that meant back then. Yeah. But uh, I like to think it still does. But back at the uh, laboratory, I guess, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maxwell and Meyer Schultz are... I, I wish they would have celebrated their corpse stealing a little bit. Like Dr. Meyer Schultz is very excited about it. He is very excited. Don but, Maxwell is not so much. But here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the uh, few things in this movie that does not make sense. (laughs) One of very few. Meyer Schultz stole this corpse, but apparently this corpse is not good enough for his experiment. 
No. They, they, they manage to bring the body back to life, and the body is downstairs in a sort of trance state, and they say that, that after a brief rest, she'll be fully recovered and alive again. So they managed to perfect Herbert West's formula in under ten minutes. Yeah. It took Herbert West three movies to get anywhere close to being good at this, but they've, they've fixed it. But, uh, yeah, and uh, he immediately is like, but this is, but you can't tell anybody about this because this experiment, people will just say, we found a live woman somewhere. <laughs> people, we need a provably dead person, which, you know what, would have been fine if they hadn't kept this all secret and stolen a body. Yeah, that's... <laughs> if they had just gone through the proper channels, this would all be fine. Yeah, it would be a fucking miracle. <laughs> who and doesn't want to bring people back to life? Except for a woman who keeps sweeping her lawn later on in the movie. And who's really th- annoyed by it. Here's the thing. While Meyer Schultz is talking yeah. about how he, need, he needs a body with a shattered heart. Yes. Whatever the fuck that means. He needs a shattered heart because he has... A heart that he brought to life on his desk in a little jar. In a jar. It's beating. Yeah. It's alive. Yes. That alone is the most incredible scientific breakthrough <laughs> of all time. There are no electrodes attached to it or anything. It's it's not hooked up to anything. No. It's just sitting there pumping nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... Now that I think about it, ungodly, self-sustaining organ like yeah completely yeah. against the laws of nature yeah dr meyer schultz has shattered <laughs> all conceived notions of biology <laughs> and for whatever reason he goes wish i could tell somebody <laughs> i assume because this is always the plot in these dumbass movies I assume that there was some board of scientists that he went to and said, I've learned how to bring people back to life. I just need such and such money to, in order to complete my experiments. And he'd access to dead bodies. And they were like, ha ha ha, we laugh you out of the science club. And he was like, oh darn, I must do the rest of my science in secret. For the science club will not condone this. Fucking science club. The fucking science club. I've never understood that. That's a that scene is in every movie. It's almost every movie. It's, I think it's in the Notebook that scene. Yeah. But it's like it, it's at the beginning of Atlantis. It's at the beginning of Stargate. It's in every goddamn movie. What science club is there that's telling scientists no? You can't. You can't do that kind of research. You can't stop do that doing kind of science research. over there. Yeah, you stop doing science over there. I don't. I, I. I don't understand what you're doing. That's my thing with any conspiracy. That's like. Scientists are lying to us, and it's like, scientists are just as fame-hungry assholes as anybody else. Right, yeah. If they came up with something groundbreaking, yeah. they would break their fucking necks to get it out there. They, they actually would. Like, there's someone pointed out, scientists, the, the big thing that you get notoriety for in science is not so much proving that something is real, it's proving that something is not. Yeah. So if, if, if... This is, is, is about climate change, like I was saying. If a scientist had figured out that climate change was not real, he would blast it to the rooftops. Not mm. only because it would make our lives a lot easier, but also he would get credit for disproving this thing. The fact that so many scientists agree is a mor- is a fucking miracle. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, not talking. This is not social commentary. The podcast. 
Have you listened to Social Commentary, the podcast? No. It's a little on the nose, but it's good. I like Audio Commentary, the podcast. In this scene, yeah. Dr. Meyer Schultz is very unreasonable. Yeah, he's, he's, he's ridiculous. And he's... Eventually he says... Maxwell, you fucked up... Or no, he sends Maxwell to steal another body. He says, I need you to find another body, this one with a shattered heart. So Maxwell says, oh, I can go to... What does he say? He He says, uh, I can go to the morgue that's like down the street. No, he doesn't go back to the morgue. He was just at the morgue. Okay. He goes to a local undertaker. This local undertaker has an absurdly sized vent... Like a diehard size vent in his in his in his dead body room, and Maxwell solid snakes it. Solid snakes it right through that vent. Inside the vent, there are two cats. I don't know what the fuck they did to these cats, but these cats have decided that it is death or death or glory. Anytime <laughs> cats are on screen in this movie, yeah, I just went fuck. What did they do to these cats? I there's so many scenes with that yeah. but these cats are just like going at it they are rabbit kicking the fuck out of each other here's my theory okay animals are compelled to violence in Maxwell's <laughs> presence that kind of makes sense there is evidence because anytime he is in the presence of an animal yeah that animal is fighting yeah that animal is pissed off and Don Maxwell as we've already established Don Maxwell is terrified of kitties so he immediately jumps right back up into that vent. He's a, he, I think he opens up a casket. and He opens like, up a casket and then immediately drops drops it and just dives for that window. They like uh, scuffle past his feet and he yeah. just like... He practically he, leaves uh, a body outline in the wall where he goes through. <laughs> and somehow the cats follow him because as he's running down the street, the cats are still in the middle of the street trying to murder each other. And he also passes by some dogs that are fighting with him. Maxwell is, so... is an unholy presence. <laughs> and animals sense that and they go mad. It's There's nothing a cat hates more than an impressionist. Actually, it's not even that he's an unholy presence. Yeah. It's just that Maxwell is mad and madness is contagious and that is why animals fight in his presence. That's right. That's right. Cats, cats, uh, I was trying to think of a way to put cats into a Dune quote and I couldn't make it work. <sighs> but yeah, fear, fear is a mind killer. Something about the box of pain, a beast would take his hand out, blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Anyway, um, so Maxwell goes, <laughs> wanders dejected back into Dr. Meyer Schultz's lap. Dr. Meyer Schultz is so giddy. He's like a little kid. Did you get a body for me? Did you get a body for me? Where the what? fuck would it be, Dr. Meyer Schultz? Like, if I had it, like, let me let me check my pockets. Dr. Meyer Schultz is like if Bella Lugosi did all of the cocaine. <laughs> but he's just, he's just so excited for the body. And he says, no, I didn't get a body. And Dr. Meyer Schultz throws the the most pathetic temper tantrum I've ever thrown, seen an old man throw since our president. He's just he's just like crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, let's since you're so judgmental <laughs> of the esteemed Dr. Meyer Schultz, <laughs> who has conquered death, right, right, uh-huh. who has looked in the face face of death and said. Fuck you. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. Uh, you're that man. Sure. And I am Maxwell, and uh-huh. I've come back to you corpseless. Right. How would you handle this situation since you're you're so fucking judgy? Well, why don't you have a corpse, Maxwell? I got scared by some cats. 
Maxwell, goddammit, you gotta get over this cat thing. Go out and get a body, for fuck's sake. Find something with a shattered heart. We need this. I think it is unreasonable of you to ask me to steal a corpse for you. Do you like eating, Maxwell? Do you like eating? Do you like living in my house? I do. Okay, then steal a fucking corpse with a shattered heart. This seems like extortion. It is. I was hoping that would bother you more. Nah, I'm I'm a, I'm crazy. <laughs> so if I don't, I have to leave. Yeah, no, you have to move out of my fucking house. By when? Uh, now, I think. Okay. <laughs> but this is only a 50-minute movie. I don't have a lot of time. Here's... <laughs> Boss, let me give you a what if. Okay. All right. What if I went out a corpse hunting? Right. For a few hours. Yes. But the time passed when that was a feasible thing to do, so I had to come back and crash, and then during prime time later, I can go out again... <laughs> And try my luck then. <laughs> okay, I think I'm going to shoot you in the heart and replace your heart with the heart on my desk and bring you back to life, so... I uh, still feel like that's unreasonable. Say, say your final words. <laughs> oh, um, my final words are... <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but that's essentially what happens. Uh, Dr. Meyer Schultz <laughs> says, Well, since you didn't get my body within... 15 minutes, yeah. and I'm holding you to the Domino's promise. Yeah, you don't get any tip. Uh, I'm going to kill you, and because you believe in me so much, right? you know I'll bring you back. Right. But instead of doing what my version of Meyer Schultz just did, in which he just shot him, uh, he gives the gun <laughs> to Maxwell. Oh, he's like, yeah, shoot yourself. Shoot yourself through the heart right and now, Maxwell. Now, my immediate thought, when somebody who I clearly respect... <laughs> Sure, yeah. Hands me a gun and tells me to kill myself. Right. I'm going at the temple. Well, no, he specifically said, shoot yourself in the heart, because I need your heart to be shattered. I know. Yeah. But for me, it's sort of like, if this were me, okay, it'd be a situation where I throw out the popsicle and put the wrapper in my mouth, where I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, gun, suicide, I know how to do this. Bang. Oh, so you would do it by accident, just yeah. on, a, on a reflex action. Because I'm a goofy boy. Yeah, you're a goofy boy. Yeah, um, yeah. and you'd be like, oh no, I don't have <laughs> a brain in a jar, a Brad. Oh, I don't have shit. a brain in a jar, Max. Well, I had a heart. Oh, I'm just going to have to use a heart as your brain. I don't know mm -hmm. how that's going to work. But fuck, I've, I've spit in the face of God so many times at this point, I might as well. What if that worked? And I... <laughs> And I was just the lovingest creature in the world. You like, were just, I was just, you're like, just super affectionate. I was a fucking Care Bear in human form. <laughs> that man has two hearts he loves so much. Sure, yeah, you're a, you're a, you're a time lord, except you don't have a brain. But yeah, so so uh, uh, Maxwell. Not feeling the shoot yourself plan. No, <laughs> and he's not it's, a... And Doctor Meyerschultz does not make it better because after telling him to do this, he just starts laughing. Yeah, he is doing full on opera villain laughter, nonstop peals of Joker laugh. 
while he's waiting for Maxwell to do this. Uh, not the best way to make someone feel comfortable with a questionable business practice, like shooting no. yourself in the heart. Uh, no. No. So, but he, he's doing this, and Maxwell... <laughs> Like a baby trying to figure out how something works. Just keeps looking at the gun, then looking at Dr. Meyer Schultz. Looks at the gun, looks at Dr. Meyer Schultz. And then slowly turns it around and just... Innocently pulls the trigger. And fucking kills Dr. Meyer Schultz dead. Right there. Well, maybe it was an accident. And this is just <laughs> when Maxwell learned he loved murder. <laughs> this is actually kind of what he discovers. Yeah. But first, we have another inner title. Uh, we we have a title that comes up right as he, right as he pulls the trigger. Uh, we get a title card talking about the most common and difficult to cure mental disease is something called dementia praecox. Yes, which uh, it gives a very sort of vague description of the disease. It sounds like a combination of paranoid schizophrenia and psychopathy. Yeah, uh, but looking it up on Wikipedia the most scholarly of sources. Mm -hmm. Dementia praecox is one of those mental diseases that doctors no longer diagnose these days uh, because it was realized that what they thought was dementia praecox was actually a combination of a lot of other more specific diseases. It was sort of a catch-all term for a lot of different things. Gotcha. So you could have been a schizophrenic and be diagnosed with it. Uh, you could be manic depressive and be diagnosed with it, which is crazy because they did know the term manic depressive at this time. We know because it's in one of the titles later on Yeah, in this very movie. But either way, um, I don't think any of the classifications under Dementia Precox apply to any of the characters in this film. Uh, I mean, you could make an argument, I guess, but like... This isn't my field of study. No, neither of us have studied psychology... I took a 101 class in college, but that does not qualify me at all. I studied it at the Salzburg Academy. Oh, did you? Yes. Uh, for 16 years. <laughs> but you said you hadn't studied it enough. I still feel like a novice. Oh, okay. The field is so broad and... <laughs> you can't see it, but as he's saying this, Brad has suddenly sprouted a monocle. Yes. <laughs> it's... I am a shallow man in a deep field. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. But from my journeyman's perspective, <laughs> okay. this is a highly accurate film. Okay, okay. 99% of people with any kind of mental illness mm -hmm. enact what follows <laughs> step by step by step to the point where we as a society uh -huh. should have long ago figured out how to counteract this process. This this very specific this process, very process that Don Maxwell follows. Which we are about to discuss uh -huh. occurs 16 times a day. <laughs> 16 times a day. 16 times a day. In the year of our Lord 2020. Yes. Wow. And 16 extra times on leap years. Oh my god. Oh my Which god. Which is, I know. Isn't, is, is, is this year a leap year? I forget. I don't follow it because okay. I feel like leap years are unchristian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Well, they were established by the Roman Empire, a famously heathen organization. Yeah, fuck them dudes. Yeah, fuck them dudes. But anyway, uh, so we cut back to uh, Meyer Schultz's dead body. Mm -hmm. And Maxwell, at first, is super broken up and feels very guilty about it. And almost immediately gets over it. Yeah. Because he realizes that there's a spark of life. And what matters is the spark of life that's still here. Yes. And he has a spark of life, and Meyer Schultz doesn't. So therefore, there's no point in feeling bad about Meyer Schultz, because the dummy got dead. Yeah. And so there's no point in even thinking about him anymore. Meyer Schultz was pretty stupid. <laughs> he, was, Brent, he was a pretty Actually, crazy asshole. No, hold on. Okay. I take that back. Okay. I'm sorry. Meyer Schultz was an honorable man. <laughs> uh -huh. He was a Ned Stark <laughs> for the 1930s. Sure. His honor led to his downfall. <laughs> he said, Maxwell, I will not murder you. Uh -huh. But because I have faith in your faith in me, mm -hmm. I will give you the gun to kill yourself. Right, right. And then Maxwell, like the scorpion and the frog, <laughs> stung his benefactor. Oh, he should have known. He should have known. He should have known. From all those crimes that Maxwell is accused of that we never hear about. So is this the point where the... Montage of weird bullshit is projected over Maxwell while he yes. gibbers nonsense. Yes, this is the point where scenes which I, I have confirmed are once again from goddamn fucking Haxon. Sweet. <laughs> we, we will never talk about Haxon on this show. We will just watch movie after movie that uses endless clips from this fucking film. But <laughs> we will never watch it. It's but, a bunch of devil boys. It's a and... bunch of devil boys. Uh... Clawed hands moving like a like a, a mystic over fire, yeah. uh, and and uh, there's even like a clip in one point later on in the movie where there's like a big lizard with a man and a woman standing on top of it, looking like they're trying to figure out a way to climb down. Now this happens a few times throughout the film. Yes, it does. Is this meant to symbolize that Maxwell is like the king devil, and he's <laughs> he's like preaching to all his sub devils, or is this just meant to be like? Maxwell is part of the devil congregation. It's very unclear. Uh, at a certain point later on in the movie, he does seem to see them. Like, to see the images in front of his face. But in this scene, and in almost every other scene where this happens, it seems just to be trying to emphasize that he's an evil character. Gotcha. I, so it's, it's very unclear. Maybe he is somewhat schizophrenic and sees images in front of his face. Uh... I don't know anything about how schizophrenia works, really, but I know that you see things with that. I know it's powered by coal. What? It's powered by coal. Schizophrenia is powered by coal. Yes. The coal industry. I mean, technically, I guess. I mean, okay. it's more, anyone with schizophrenia uh -huh. has a little man in overalls inside <laughs> their head who shovels coal right. from the coal bin. Yeah. Into the furnace uh -huh. of the schizophrenia machine. One of the... <laughs> inside their noggin. One of those little noggin men who, who shovel the coal. You've heard of them. I, I have, yes. yes. I, I believe I heard of them in a Looney Tunes cartoon at some point. 
that's pretty offensive to my beliefs. <laughs> uh, this, your, this... your beliefs are pretty offensive to good taste. Well, I guess I will see you in court. <laughs> Just we... another theater in the war on Christmas. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Maxwell... Maxwell, because he is conveniently a vaudeville impersonator, <laughs> yes, decides that the only logical wait, recourse... Wait, before that, he, he's, he, he decides to steal Dr. Meyer Schultz's formula, but he can't find it at first. And then the doorbell rings. And it's some lady. I forget her name. I just called her Karen. It's it's uh, Mrs. Buckley. Mrs. Buckley. Because Mrs. Buckley is played by Phyllis Diller. And I was like, oh, oh this is who Phyllis Diller is. Right. Wait, she looks kind of old for 1934. Yeah, she's like a middle-aged woman. And uh, I called her Karen because she asks if Dr. Meyer Schultz is available. Because apparently Dr. Meyer Schultz was a practicing MD. Yeah. Uh, on top of everything else. He's the local sawbones. He's the local sawbones. But <laughs> he would be a great person to bring your kids to. Time for your flu shot, Timmy. <laughs> Here's the odd thing. Yes. Is it seems like the working class neighbors of Dr. Meyer Schultz <laughs> have this superstitious fear of the man. Yes. But the upper class consult mm-hmm. him. Right. Almost as if it's sort of a blood cabal uh-huh. by the elite. This was a this is a uh, prequel to Society. Yes, the Brian Usna film. But anyway, uh, Doctor Meyer Schultz is sort of like a modern day witch in that he <laughs> that the locals are spooked of him, but he has the good yeah. healing herbs. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's 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 the one you go to if you want a back alley abortion. Yeah. So the woman comes in. She says, "Is Doctor Meyer Schultz available?" And uh, Maxwell says, "No." And she says. Oh, but it's very important. Tell him it's important. I'm going to bring my husband in. He's having delusions that he's the chimpanzee from Murders of the Rue Morgue. Of the Rue Morgue. You know, the Poe story? Yeah. This movie is supposed to be connected to Poe. Yeah. So just the, the attitude of, oh, he's not available? Well, tell him it's me. And then bringing the husband in. I called her Karen the rest of the movie. I like to think... <laughs> I like to think that uh, chimpanzee or orangutan was the key word where it's like, Dr. Meyer Schultz is super interested in primate delusions. <laughs> it does seem That's like the his, kind of thing he would be fascinated by. Those are his two fields of study. Resurrecting the dead. <laughs> and monkey science. I think the the uh, the coroner earlier on in the scene with the Missing Persons Bureau, I think he said something about the reason why he's friends with Dr. Meyer Schultz is that Dr. Meyer Schultz invented a new way of preserving dead bodies. I think that's what he said. So, Dr. Marshall's has got his hands in a lot of pies. Yeah. Yeah. He's a modern-day Da Vinci. He's a, he's a modern-day Da Vinci. The lady is is, is just uh, bringing her husband in whether Dr. Meyer Schultz is available or not. So, Maxwell decides, fuck, I guess uh, I guess I got to use my impressionist abilities. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. Thank God I thank have God this he has very that. specific background. So he's he, like decoy octopus in Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> so he breaks out the disguise kit. He he puts a lot of white shit in his his curly hair. I wish mm-hmm. that he had ripped off Meyer Schultz's clearly fake beard <laughs> and just attached it to his own face. And I'm guessing that was a wig as well. So he could have just right. taken that too. That would have been uh, 
a super meta moment that would have made me love this movie in a whole different way. It would have made it one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I think so, happened. yeah. Um, but, but uh, yeah, so he gets into character, not only does he get into character super fast, but he like nudges Dr. Meyer Schultz's body behind a table or something. He doesn't hide the body. He just kind of leaves it there behind something. Which is odd, because the rest of the movie... This man cannot wait to get people in his body hiding basement. That is true. No, he's very excited about the basement later on. So, but I guess he's just fucking lazy at this point where he's like, yeah. this is my house now. I'll leave corpses wherever I want. <laughs> like you said, when it's your corpse, you exactly. don't you don't mind the smell. But yeah, so uh, he becomes Dr. Meyer Schultz super quickly in the time it takes for this woman to convince her uh, orangutan or chimpanzee husband to come inside. Okay. Okay. Face off. Okay. <laughs> Whoever the fuck, I can't remember who played Maxwell. Don Maxwell. The actor who played Don Maxwell. Yes. Okay. But that actor is playing Don Maxwell. Uh-huh. Meyer Schultz. Yes. The coroner. Yes. That performance, that tour de force, <laughs> multifaceted performance. Right. Versus Kyle MacLachlan in uh-huh. Twin Peaks The Return, where he is playing Mr. C, Dougie Jones... Uh, Black Lodge Cooper and yeah. others. Honestly, <laughs> uh, or three-way battle, Eddie Murphy in the Nutty Professor movies. Oh, in that case, Eddie Murphy wins all okay. the way because like he played so many more characters yeah. than the other characters did. I mean, like the only thing that beats that is also Eddie Murphy in Norbit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is Norbit part of the clump verse? <laughs> we can only hope. I, I have no idea. We can only hope, yeah. and I do. <laughs> I I do a lot of uh, Christian-based letter writing. <laughs> do you? Much like uh, the biblical Paul with his letters. Uh, okay, that's a, that's a high I, bar to compare yourself to. I, I, I'm also sending letters to the Ephesians. Sort of like a child addressing a letter to Santa Claus, where I'm just like, um, <laughs> I write... The Ephesians, yeah. the Bible, <laughs> and just stick it in a public mailbox. Right, 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 yeah. But most of my theological musings uh-huh. are based on my hope that Norbit is part of the Clumpverse. <laughs> How does that relate to theology Thousands at all? Because divine perfection oh, I see. could only mean that this is a true statement. Right. And really, that's a root of a... That's a very fertile ground to plow for theology mm-hmm. and... Um, they say that you always look for God in three places. The good, the true, and the beautiful. And I think that we can definitively state they are no more present in our world than in the cinematic opus that is Norbit. Yeah. Yeah. And the the Nutty Professor movies and... uh, And uh, Pluto Nash. I'm also going to assume Eddie Murphy's song Boogie in Your Butt (laughs) is also part of that. uh, Where... It is, it is a good song. It's a fucking amazing song. Where it, for about... Have you heard it? It is a beautiful song. And, it is. And it, the truth in lies in it. There is boogie in the butt. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard the song? No, I've never heard the song. Eddie Murphy uh, basically telling that he's going... That you should put these things in your butt. Right. So it's like, put a rock in your butt. Put a clock 
in your butt. Hmm. Put a man in your butt. Hmm. Put a tiny man in your butt. Hmm. Put the boogie in your butt. In your butt. Put the boogie in your butt. In your butt. Yes. It's a great song. Yeah, that, that is, that is the, the truth of our world. Eddie Murphy is one of my favorite recording artists of all time. <laughs> Between that song and My Girl Wants to Party All the Time. Right, yeah. A party song where you complain about having to party. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hopefully someday I'll complete my script mm-hmm. for, fingers crossed, right. made-for-TV movie. <laughs> oh, you're shooting for a high bar there. <laughs> Shoot for the moon, at least you'll land among the stars. Uh, right. Am I right, brother? <laughs> yeah. Made for TV movie. Yeah. <laughs> party all the time. Colon the Eddie Murphy's girl story. Oh my god. Where it's about the woman, the mm-hmm. girl. Yes. That the song is based off of. The one who wanted to party all the time. And she has a chronic partying problem. Right. And at the end, mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy cryogenically freezes her <laughs> until they can find a cure for partying all the time. And that woman is played by Phyllis Diller. Yep. <laughs> A relationship that would not have been allowed under the Hayes Code. No, would not have been allowed under the Hayes Code. Uh, also, they're going to kiss for as long as they want yes. in the movie until the partying interrupts it. But anyway, we then get a definition. This episode is already, we are going long. Are we? And we are barely through this movie. I know, right? We are going to have to cut so much out. Yeah, we are. How, how long are we going for? We're almost at two hours. Oh my god. Okay. So we then get the definition for the word parasis, which uh, the definition they give is more or less correct, uh, basically saying that it, it deter- it's a deterioration of the mind, is a deterioration of your uh, inhibitions. But they refer to it as something that criminologists have to be aware of instead of what it actually was, which was a mental degradation you get as part of syphilis. Hmm. And most people just fucking died from it until the 1940s when they finally were like, you know what, syphilis could probably use uh, some penicillin. And then suddenly a lot less people were dying from uh, syphilis and parasis. Can I tell you a secret? Okay, sure. Syphilitic madness mm-hmm. is probably my favorite kind of madness. <laughs> I didn't know you had a favorite kind of madness. <laughs> I like to rank things. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, syphilitic, syphilitic madness. Uh-huh. Fever madness. Right. Reefer madness. Reefer madness. Yeah. Cat scratch fever madness. <laughs> the band madness. Right. The song She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. Which is about madness. Right, of course. And then you're just run-of-the-mill, cuckoo bananas yeah. madness. My personal favorite madness is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's chocolate. Yeah. They should take that off the market if it's causing <laughs> this mania among the public. It's really... I'm still waiting for them to pass a law that rabbits can eat tricks. Because, frankly, it's it's disgusting the way that we treat them like second-class citizens in this way. You know I'm a very progressive person. Right. If I ever see a rabbit eat tricks, I will blow my fucking brains out. 
That's a strong stance, Brad. That's a strong stance. I will die on this hill. <laughs> and it will most likely be because I saw a rabbit eating tricks and I blew my fucking brains out. <laughs> Alright, so uh, we cut back from the description of uh, people uh, losing their minds from syphilis. To Don Maxwell, his going to work as Dr. Meyer Schultz. He yes. is in the guise of Dr. Meyer Schultz for the rest of the movie. Essentially, he and Dr. Meyer Schultz are now the same character. Yes. Uh, he tells his patient's wife, uh, what did you call her again? Mrs. Buckley. Mrs. Buckley. He says tells Mrs. Buckley. He never talks directly to Mr. Buckley. Mr. Buckley could be a chair for yes. all he cares. But he talks to Mrs. Buckley and he says... Don't worry, I'll give him a shot to relieve the nerve tension. Yes. And I don't know anything about schizophrenia. I don't know anything about paranoid delusions. But I don't think that nerve tension is the problem. He was dumbing it down for her. Okay. Because she couldn't understand the science. But here's what's going on. Okay. There's a, there is a specific shot you can give someone. Okay. When they believe that they are the orangutan from the murders... <laughs> Of the rumor from the murders at the rumor. Yes. Uh, so that's what he's would prepare if he were the real Doctor Meyer Schultz. Yeah. But as we see, he goes into the back. Uh, Mister Meyer Schultz or Mister Buckley is collapsed into a chair. Mister. So Doctor Meyer Schultz goes into the back and he says he's looking for a syringe. He's <laughs> he, looking for a syringe. He has two choices. Yes. He can either give Mister Buckley super adrenaline, super adrenaline. Yes. Which I double checked. Uh huh. Not a real thing. Okay, I looked up. I made the mistake of looking up super steroids, and now I get very, very disgusting ads <laughs> on my Facebook. I think you could do with about thirty to forty pounds of muscle. Thank if you. I if I had a constructive criticism about your body, I'd prefer you didn't. Thirty to forty pounds of muscle would suit you just fine. Thanks. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. So it's either uh, super adrenaline. Super adrenaline. Or water. Or water. Which he says, that can't do any harm. I beg to differ. <laughs> I did a Google search. Uh, what If you inject water into a vein without making it more or less isotonic, if it's just tap water, uh, break down. it can break down the red blood cells, it can result in kidney problems, it can result in fluid overload... There are so many problems that can result. There's so much harm that can be done by injecting water into a blood vein. Let me tell you the key word there. Okay. Hoss. Okay. Could. Could. <laughs> My point is it's not good. Maxwell's <laughs> in a doctor. <laughs> what do you what do you expect from this idiot? <laughs> No, clear, nothing, since he doesn't know... So really, what you're saying is the super adrenaline is the safer choice. Apparently, it is. But, uh, and that's... And he accidentally grabs a syringe of super adrenaline. There's a hilarious mix-up yeah. where he accidentally grabs a super adrenaline, which... He, the theme song, the ending theme song from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm starts playing as he grabs a syringe. And he injects Mr. Buckley in, with it. The effect is... Is instantaneous. Instantaneous. And results in my favorite scene of the movie. Possibly one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. And the only scene that anyone has ever seen from this movie because it's on YouTube under the title Worst Transformation Scene Ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The the guy who's playing Mr. Buckley has not said a word up to this point. Uh, but he he jumps up and starts saying, Fire running through my veins! Burning my brain! <laughs> He's about to go into song. He's yeah. so... In all the overacting in this movie, this is the biggest choice. This is this man's moment. This is the Oscar moment of the movie. This is... He is throwing everything at the wall. He has one shot. <laughs> one opportunity. Exactly. Sees everything he's ever wanted. This is his Eminem psych-up moment. <laughs> this is His him. palms are sweaty. This is his Johnny Cash backstage <laughs> thinking about his entire life before he goes on. And he just throws it in. And it cuts for one shot in the middle of this monologue. It cuts back to his wife. And she completely undersells, especially compared to his delivery. Completely undersells the line... Doctor, he seems to be getting worse, not better. You fucking think? <laughs> you fucking think? She's keeping a cool head. She's keeping a cool head. Well, no, he's not. <laughs> I don't know what being injected with super adrenaline would do to you. I, I genuinely don't. You Especially do know because we see it. Well, clearly, but like, I don't. In in real life, I don't know what would in happen. In real life, it's not a thing. Oh. <laughs> True. I don't know what being injected with adrenaline would do for you, especially if you are someone who already suffers from delusions. I don't know what effect that would take. But by the end of this, not only is he so exuberant and so all over the place, he starts doing little, like, like dad a dad pretending to be the wolf man to scare his kids snarls. He starts with like little snorkels like that. He's Mr. Hiding. Yeah, he's he's fully Mr. Hiding. I think it I think they even put in like fake fangs. Wouldn't surprise me. Point. That's mental illness. That's mental illness. You get fangs. And he immediately rushes towards his wife and his wife falls backwards over the body of Dr. Meyer well, Schultz. So now we have to worry about Yeah, Mr. Buckley gives her literally it's not even a push. It's a touch. <laughs> And she flies backwards. She goes ass over tea kettle. She goes. She flies backward like someone who's looking to sue somebody. And she she uh, plops down face to face with the dead Mr. Meyer Schultz. Handles it very well. Right. This, this is a calm woman. If someone makes a remake of this, I want it to be Sam Raimi. Yeah. And just go full on Three Stooges horror with it, like he did with Evil Dead Two, and um, drag me to hell. But then he turns around, and it just so happens, dead lady from the basement. Has woken up. Yeah. And she wanders in in an absolute trance. And this guy turns around and goes... <laughs> runs forward, grabs her. He's like, that's all I need, and runs. Let me tell you my note. <laughs> okay. For this moment. Yes, this is this classic moment. In all caps. Uh-huh. Why does the corpse walk? Because <laughs> it's alive. How? We They brought it to life. They injected it back at the morgue. Why'd they need another fucking body? That's already a goddamn miracle. That body didn't have a shattered heart. It died from gas. It died from gas inhalation. <sighs> so they couldn't prove that it came back to life because people who die from gas inhalation come back to life all the time. This moment confused me so fucking much. <laughs> 
And ultimately, it doesn't matter because Mr. Buckley Hyde picks her up. Yeah. Runs out into the fucking uh, of mice and men wilderness. Yeah. And also, we we they, they clearly said that after arrest, she would be fine. She would be back to normal. She would be alive and fully herself again. She's not. She is like she's brain dead. She she's is a full zombie. She's like a Haitian zombie. She's a Haitian zombie. She's just wandering around. No, she just wanders up, and he just picks her up like a piece of luggage, and just runs out into the heartlands. Yeah, uh, takes a moment to rip her shirt down. Yep, and this uh, is one of those moments where you're where you're like 1930s, really? Yeah, I was very you surprised. Get full frontal nudity, not full not frontal. Full. You, you see, don't you don't see any vaginas, but you, you see breasts. You see you see full boobage. And I was extremely surprised. Yes. The minute she gets full boobage, she's obviously a, suddenly a very different actress. Oh, is she? Yeah, she's... Yeah, it's pretty clear. And okay. She, yeah, it's, it's a very different... Act. This is the body double that I was talking about. And uh, Mr. Buckley and the corpse run the fuck out of the movie. Run the fuck out of the movie. They're, they're never seen again. We, we see him, like, put her down in the middle of a field and, like, look at her boobs for a second. And then I think they... I don't think he even picks her back up. It's just cut, and that's that's it. We don't see them in the movie ever again. Mrs. Buckley, uh, once we go back into the laboratory, back into the movie, not this weird 30-second side movie that just ends. <laughs> side movie that just ends. Mrs. Buckley immediately forgets, or doesn't care, that her husband has just run off. Doesn't care, does not question why there are two people who look like Dr. Meyer Schultz. All she's concerned about is that there is a dead body... And a live body. And she's wondering how the dead body got dead. Well, and she also... And I don't remember how it happens, but she learns about the resurrection formula. Well, he says... She's like... Why? Oh, no, no. He's like, that's he my says, assistant. She says, did you kill him? And he says, no, that was my assistant. He killed himself. And she says, why didn't you call the police? He says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't call the police. You see, I have an experimental life-giving formula... And I can bring him back to life. Uh, I So I need some time to experiment on him and bring him back to life. And she's like, okay, well, now I know that you can bring people back to life. And that when you bring them back to life, they're zombies. I don't know how she knows that because he didn't say that that girl was a zombie. She has very, very firm ideas about what resurrected people will act like. Right. They'll just be... Um, uh, Zombies that will do whatever you say. This seems she to be says. something that Mrs. Buckley has thought about a lot. She has thought about this a lot. And she says, well, you're going to bring your assistant back. And he'll do whatever you say when he comes back. So what I want you to do is find my husband, who just ran off with the younger lady. Kill him. Bring him back. And then he'll be my zombie. Because I've been wanting those for ages. Everybody in my neighborhood has one. And I'm the only one left without... A zombie servant to call my own. Now, I think it's important to note <laughs> that Mrs. Buckley did not find Mr. Buckley mentally pliable enough mm -hmm. when he thought he was an orangutan right. to be useful. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is an important warning about the dangers of owning an exotic pet. This movie has so many layers. They're not as fun as you think they are. No, they're not. They're a lot of work, and they're dangerous. They're very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And now you know. Uh, Tiger King. Everyone loves that show, but Monkey King. Nobody nobody talks the about that show. The famous Chinese epic. Yeah, Monkey, Monkey King. King. Yeah, exactly. The Journey to the West. Journey to the West. Uh, anyway. So... 
Uh, this movie, speaking of which, we, we talked about this movie having 1930s topless scenes. There are a couple of topless scenes in this movie. There is There are no sex scenes in this movie, but there are at least two topless scenes and one scene of women in various states of undress. Fighting. Fighting and also just oh, hanging yeah, out. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, just, I just, remember. Just hanging out. And this was enough in the 1930s to get this movie labeled as pornography. People people said it was nothing but but porn and was was something to be destroyed. They they specifically mentioned the the nudity reviews at the time specifically mentioned the nudity and uh one scene of graphic violence that happens later in the film uh and saying that this is this is all wrong. This is terrible. See, I was hoping that people in 1934 went fucking nuts for this. And they're like, <laughs> oh my god, this is crazy. Movies are awesome. And then... Uh, no, they decided it was And porn. then the studios came in and were like, shit, we can't... They're getting, the kids are getting out of control. We need to tamp this down. No one can say the word God. <laughs> Not just God, but God. God. Uh, so, yeah, so... <laughs> So Maxwell, now that he's locked into this weird arrangement with Mrs. Buckley, it's even more imperative that he finds the papers with the formula for the resurrection yeah. uh, juice that the doctor invented. But after he says that, I gotta find this juice, we then instead cut to something which is much more important. One of his weird fucking neighbors who's just come over and is like, Have you seen my cat? Yeah. And he said, no. Are you experimenting on my cats? No. I just said no. I haven't <laughs> I, seen your fucking cat. I don't experiment on cats, man. Okay. Bye. <laughs> That's what a mad scientist would say, but I guess I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said before, this is when the cat is revealed that the cat has a name, Satan. And this is also when... Uh, Are you sure that the cat's name is Satan? Or is he just saying... No, the cat's name is Satan. He refers to it a couple more times after okay. that scene. And uh, this is also when we reveal that that a part of Don Maxwell's psychosis, he is obsessed with uh, a gleam in people's eyes. He can tell when people have ill intent because they have a gleam in their eye. He saw that gleam in Dr. Meyer Schultz's eyes when he was asking him to, to shoot himself. And he sees it in the cat's eyes. And he hates this cat. Uh... And he hates it even more because the heart, that heart that, that Dr. Meyer Schultz brought to life, the cat steals it. Oh, I missed this part. <laughs> the cat steals the heart and starts eating it. Cats will do that. Cats will do that. You can't leave a, a, an unattended heart around a cat. They will just fucking eat that shit. Um, so Maxwell decides, going back to the story of the, of the, the, the black cat from Poe, this is the first time in a while that we've gone back to that story. Yes. Uh, Maxwell decides, I will hide Dr. Meyer Schultz's body behind a wall of brick in the basement. Which is also, just by virtue of walls and basements and bricks, mm -hmm. cask of Amontialdo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Poe went back to the same ideas a lot in when, his stories. When you have as good of an idea... <laughs> Of walling up a man, yes. dead or alive, right? Milk it for all it's worth. I mean, even if you could say the, the idea of a of a younger man killing an older man uh, and trying to hide his body and then being undone by some sort of 
happenstance and psychosis of his own, you could also say that's a telltale heart. True. Really, in the in the arc. You could it. also say it's Cain and Abel. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, Poe didn't write that one, though. As far as I'm aware. I have some websites you should read. <laughs> Great. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, so he, he starts to bury uh, the doctor behind the bricks, but then Satan starts pissing him off again. He can see the gleam in this cat's eyes, and he decides he's going to chase this fucking cat. He says, that darn cat. He says, that darn cat. Thus follows a series of shots where, in every shot, someone off camera throws the cat across the room. Clearly just threw this poor fucking cat across the room, and then the actor playing Don Maxwell fucking dives for it like an Olympic swimmer. Like, it is it is some crazy fuck... This chase scene goes on for not too long, but it's it's long enough that I start worrying about this fucking cat. Yeah, oh, I was worried about the cat every... Any cat, when it was on screen, I was worried about it. Uh, yeah, I, I was especially worried about it during a later scene, but this... So then this, this scene I happens. was just glad that Don Maxwell didn't have, like, um, a racquetball racket and just, like, <laughs> return the serve. Right, I made this out of cat gut. Oh, comedy! Oh, yeah! Motherfucker, there's comedy on this show. <laughs> there's comedy on this show. This ain't like your dad's podcast. Anyway. Um, My dad's podcast is a lot of talking about Guidepost Magazine and Gary Sinise. <laughs> a lot of talking about Gary Sinise. Anyway. Um, Do your parents subscribe to Guidepost Magazine? I don't think so. Weird. I, I At least I don't remember it. But they could. Maybe you're I not th- the... I don't know. I think my parents stopped uh, following any magazines anymore. I think my father still gets TV Guide. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> what an interesting choice. I, just I don't on understand to. it. I don't. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very out-of-date magazine. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can just find that out elsewhere. Well, it's going to be on. But anyway, um... So, how else are you going to get those crossword puzzles <laughs> So, anyway, this, this chase scene culminates in a scene that apparently horrified audiences at the time. It's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly, where Maxwell grabs poor Satan by the head. He grabs his actual cat by the head. And then we cut to a shot of him holding a completely different cat's head and plucking out a grape. Yes. Uh, and now this is a cat that they, they found a one-eyed cat, and he, he flicks a grape off of the cat's face. But this is clearly supposed to be him plucking out one of Satan's mm. eyes. The cat is not even the same color as Satan, which is hilarious to me. Yes. But I was just glad they didn't actually pop out a cat's eye. Because in the 1930s, you can never tell. Especially in a movie like in this. In fucking 60s, you can barely tell. That is true. That is true. Especially depending on the country. Uh, for those who don't know, back in the day, whenever you see a horse fall over in a western, like a cowboy gets shot and the horse falls over, or like uh, a whole wagon gets derailed or something shit and the horses all fall over, they had an actual rig that they would attach to the horses and force them to fall down, breaking their legs. Uh, for every one of those shots, they killed so many horses in old Hollywood. It was uh, that's that's the reason why we have animal abuse laws now. 
and why there's always that message at the end of every movie saying no animals were harmed in the making of this film because for years we just did we just harmed animals all the time I'm not saying that was a good thing <laughs> let me make that clear okay <laughs> but I want to posit a what if to you <laughs> okay what if currency was horse bones then you'd be fucking rolling in it <laughs> Okay, Maxwell, I'm going to shoot you in the heart now. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, we then cut to a static shot of the eyeball on the ground, and it is clearly a human eyeball. Yes, it is not a cat. <laughs> the person who is... <laughs> the person who was uh, uh, the art director on this movie, the production design... Uh, couldn't find... It's just like, eyes. Humans have eyes. Cats have eyes. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. It's just eyes. And he lets the cat go, and he picks up the eyeball, and he says, not that much different from an oyster or a grape, and swallows the fucking thing. And here's the thing. I knew Maxwell was going to eat that 